It's the North Shore Vineyard Church Audio Podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. In this podcast, we have audio from our Saturday night service, our last Saturday night service, March 27th, 2010. Why is it our last Saturday night service? Well, because we're going to be starting a Sunday service, beginning Easter, next Sunday, 10.30 a.m., and from that point on, on Sundays. So if you're in the area and want to check it out, come join us. We'd love to have you. So the audio on this podcast is called Broken and Poured Out. And we're looking at Holy Week, or otherwise known as Passover. We're going to look at the history of Passover and the Jewish tradition, and then how Jesus uh, reconfigures Passover around himself. So, So thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check out our resources online at northshorevineyard.org. For our 40 Days of Faith, we have devotionals put up there Monday through Friday with scripture readings uh, that are specifically geared towards this season of Lent and, uh, and Holy Week. So check that out when you get a chance, and thank you for listening. Happy Palm Sunday Eve. Is that what it is? <clears throat> Y'all remember the film Independence Day? Anyone remember that? It was, you know, a lot of people say Will Smith's kind of crowning moment in cinema was the pursuit of happiness. But, uh, man, Independence Day, that's a heck of an acting job. So you, you might want to go visit it. But um, Independence Day... Came, back, came out in 1996 on, uh, guess what day? Um, July 4th. It was clever, clever marketing. Um, and uh, the movie, if you have not seen it, this was the basic premise. Um, aliens, spaceships had, had come to major metropolitan cities in America like New York, Chicago, L.A., and they parked out on July 2nd. And then on July 3rd, they obliterated all these major cities in the world. And then... On July 3rd, no, no fear, we have Will Smith and, and some, um, some folks from the military, and they did what every respectable American would do. They, they kicked alien butt. And the underlying philosophy of the movie was that we Americans have not only thrown off the tyranny of the British, we've not only come through in World War I, we not only kicked Nazi butt in World War II, but now we've saved the galaxy from alien tyranny. And that's what, that's what we Americans do, right? Woo, yes. <laughs> if I invited you over to my house, well, well, quickly before I get to that point, the, the thing that makes Independence Day work, if, if you change the context a bit, if you moved it up about four months in the year to, like, say, spring break, would the movie have the same amount of punch? Like, like, like part of what makes the movie work is that when the Americans win, it happens to be... Independence Day. It's kind of corny, but that's kind of what makes this blockbuster Hollywood film work, if you, if you actually think it works. But um, so if you moved it back to spring break, it wouldn't quite have the same punch. In the same way, if I invited you over to my house for a Labor Day barbecue, you might be like showing up at my house thinking brisket, pulled pork, ribs, potato salad. Apple pie, 
Anybody getting hungry? But, but what would you think if you, you walked in the door and instead of brisket and ribs and apple pie, we were all dressed in green. We had Irish folk music playing in the background. Somebody's doing the river dance. We're drinking Guinness and, and eating haggis. Anybody ever had haggis? Anybody know what haggis is? Look it up online later. Um, and we had leprechauns on the wall. What would you think? You would think I'm going to a different church, right? You know, I mean... <laughs> You'd be a little disappointed. It doesn't make sense. You know, back in uh, years ago, I was doing this college ministry over at SLU. Um, got a few people in here that remember that. But, um, and then they still showed up tonight. But, uh, <laughs> but we had this, this little tradition. It only lasted a couple of years. But on Halloween, we'd get a group of like 10 to 15 of us, and we would dress up uh, in like elf hats, Christmas, you know, Christmas elves, and we'd get some guitars and some percussion, and we'd go out caroling in the neighborhoods. And uh, one, one particular night was, was kind of funny because we're, we're about wrapped up with the neighborhoods, and we're walking back, and there happened to be a party in these college apartments that were close to the campus. And, and one guy stumbles out of the party, and he was obviously on some mind-altering substances of the hallucinogenic nature. And... Um, and all of a sudden, at once, without planning it, we all point at him, and we start singing, Jesus loves you, this we know, for the Bible tells us so. And uh, the guy was really freaked out. <laughs> I, I could just see his conversion story. I was, these elves came to me, and uh, <laughs> Christmas elves, and uh uh, and I was convicted, and I, I fell on my knees. And, uh, but, but the thing that worked about that in kind of a crazy college sense, the, the reason that we did Christmas carols at Halloween was just because it was insane. You know, I mean, it, it, just for the, um, just because it didn't make any sense. It was wacky, right? And we were just crazy, wacky college kids, right? And uh, so all that to say, context, context matters, doesn't it? There's certain things in our culture that we identify with, that, that makes sense at certain times. Leprechauns on Labor Day, not so much. Christmas carols on Halloween, not so much. Independence Day, spring break, not so much. Context means something to us as a culture and our story and the things that we, we believe as Americans. It, 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 it has meaning to us. Birthdays. Well, tomorrow begins the celebration of Holy Week. And um, tomorrow's Palm Sunday. And while Christians all over the world are going to be celebrating Palm Sunday in various different uh, places, I, I think there's a lot of people who kind of miss the richness of the story of Holy Week. They miss the richness of it because, you know, maybe from familiarity, maybe because we've never really paid attention. But Jesus, you know, what we celebrate on Palm Sunday is when Jesus went to Jerusalem, and it was the beginning of Passover week. And Jesus, when he went to Jerusalem, we kind of, you know, as modern Americans in a Western culture, we just kind of think, oh, he went to Jerusalem. But understand that Jesus, most of his ministry was not in Jerusalem. Most of it was in Judea, Capernaum, the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. He, he kind of started off in out-of-the-way places like Laranger and, and Robert and, uh, you know, kind of worked his way down to, to Madisonville and Covington. And, but he, he, he was not in Jerusalem. So when Jesus went to Jerusalem... It meant something. And out of all the days in the year that Jesus could go to Jerusalem, 
Why? Why did Jesus go on Passover week? Why Passover week? You, you know, people don't accidentally end up in New Orleans on Mardi Gras, usually, unless they're drugged or something. <laughs> uh, you know, if you're, if you're going to show up in New Orleans on Mardi Gras, you usually kind of have an idea of what you're getting into. You usually intended to show up there. Same thing with Jesus showing up in Jerusalem on Passover. It's not something you would do on accident. It's not some kind of random event. It was part of the story that God was telling. See, as you're going to see tonight, Jesus showing up on Passover week wasn't like leprechauns on Labor Day. It wasn't like Independence Day on spring break. It wasn't Christmas carols at Halloween. Jesus fit Passover week perfectly. Probably a better way of saying it, Passover found its ultimate fulfillment, its ultimate meaning in the person of Jesus. So tonight, I want to look at a couple of, couple of aspects. Number one, what is the Passover? What, what did it mean to the Jewish people? Secondly, how did Jesus approach Passover? What did, he, what did it mean to Jesus? And then finally, how did Jesus reconfigure the Passover in light of his ministry? Well, the first Passover happened 1,500 years before Jesus uh, walked in Jerusalem that, that, uh, that Passover week. And basically, the children of Israel had been enslaved for, you know, anywhere between two and 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And I just want you to think about that for a second. Uh, America celebrated our, our bicentennial back in uh, 1976. I was four years old. Um, I vaguely remember it. But our country celebrated a 200-year anniversary. The children of Israel were enslaved for at least 200 years on the conservative side. It could have been upwards of 430 years in Egypt. You know, most of us growing up in America, we grow up with a certain mentality, don't we? Your your kids are going to get it. My kids are going to get it. We live in a land of blessing prosperity, like beyond any other nation in the history of the world. We live in, what, what do they call it, the land of opportunity. There's this mindset in America that, that if you try hard enough, you can do anything, right? We, we teach our kids that. Like, man, if you just try hard, if you just work hard, you can do anything you want. You realize how weird that idea is in the history of mankind? <laughs> Most people, I mean, 90% of people in the world, would, that, that idea would never cross their mind. But because of the culture in which we live and, and, the, and the freedom and the freedoms we've, we've experienced, like capitalism, different things, free market, we kind of have this, this mentality. The children of Israel, think about them for a minute. It was kind of the opposite, complete opposite of the situation we see right now. It, it wasn't, there was no opportunity to advance. There was no choices. There was no work hard and it'll go somewhere. It was just work hard. Every day. See, children of Israel started with, with about 100 to 200 people that, that went into Egypt. And over the period of a couple hundred years, they, they ended up going to about two, you know, over 2 million people in Egypt in slavery. Imagine that. The ethnicity of this group of people was almost entirely defined in its early stages by slavery. Imagine the imprint that that would leave on your mind, on the psychology of a people. 
basically, it would just come down to this. You build a brick, you move a brick, you set a brick. Today is just like yesterday. Tomorrow's going to be just like today. It's hard work at the tyranny of, a, of an empire that cares nothing about you. They'll beat you up. They'll, they'll destroy you. And that was the mindset of the children of Israel under Egypt. But God raises up a deliverer by the name of Moses. And God says, Moses, I want you to go to, to tell that Pharaoh, let my people go. And so the story goes that that's exactly what Moses did. Pharaoh wasn't, wasn't too excited about letting two million people that were working for free go. And so God sends one plague after another. It starts with the water being turned to blood and fish dying. And then there was you know, lice and gnats. And then there was frogs. And then there was boils, a plague of boils. Not big on plagues of boils. And uh, there, was, there was hail mixed with fire. And then, uh, you know, one thing after another... Finally, you know, the ninth plague was darkness. It just got dark in Egypt, a dark that was almost tangible. And finally, and and, and several times, Pharaoh kind of got to where he was about to let him go. He was about to say, okay, you can take him. But then his heart would harden. And so God says, I'm going to do one last thing, and and this is going to be the turning point. And so Pharaoh, uh, so God tells Tells Moses, he said, I want you to gather the, the, the Hebrew people together. And I want every person to, to get a lamb and sacrifice that lamb and wipe blood on the doorpost of your home. And you're going to eat that lamb for dinner. But you're going to eat it with your loins girded. Anybody know what your loins girded means? Not a phrase you use around the office much, right? It basically means with your bags packed, ready to go. You're in your travel clothes. You're not in your work clothes you're not in your business suit. You're in your let's get out the door and hit the road close because God's deliverance is near. And so that night, the angel of death comes, and, and everywhere where blood was not on the doorway, he takes the firstborn. And so in Egypt, every household in Egypt had someone that had died, while the Hebrews, they were all alive because they had the blood on the doorpost. What's interesting about this this feast is that this was uh, the first Passover was definitely the turning point. It was it was the time where God ultimately led them out of slavery. But also, God said, "I want you to celebrate Passover every year from this day forward." You realize Passover actually became the starting point of their calendar. It, it, it happens if you look at the the Hebrew calendar. It's the first month of their year. It happens two weeks into it, and God is basically saying, "I want you to to to, to get in the rhythm of your." Your, your nation, this people group, I want y'all to get in your rhythm that every year you start it by remembering how I heard your cries, how I heard you when you were enslaved, and I delivered you. I passed over. I, t- I broke you out of bondage. And so God commands them. If you look at the actual rules, uh, it was pretty bad. If you didn't celebrate Passover, you like got kicked out. <laughs> you were cut off. You lost everything. That's how, how seriously God took it. But they went from a mentality of slavery by observing the Passover year after year. They, they began to get their minds changed, to understand God as their deliverer, the one who hears them. 
And so they celebrated that Passover. After they got out of Egypt, they celebrated it when David was king, when Solomon was king. They celebrated it when they were under the Babylonian exile and the Assyrian exile. And they celebrated it all the way up until the time of Jesus. Now, just a little backtrack from last week. Jesus, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, people were, there was an anticipation at that time for the Messiah to come. And I I mentioned this last week that that there had been this, you know, the prophets, Zechariah, Isaiah, a lot of the prophets had had prophesied that God was going to send a Messiah. Most people thought that the Messiah, they didn't think he was going to be God. They just thought the Messiah was going to be a deliverer, kind of like Moses. So understand that 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 was the mentality that kind of surrounded the Jewish mind when Jesus walks into Jerusalem. So as they celebrate Passover that year, they're reflecting on how God would hear their cries as a people and how he answered them and how he broke them free from the tyranny of this foreign empire. So if you were a Jewish person in that time, you'd probably be thinking, God, when are you going to hear our cries? When are you going to bring somebody like Moses who can do miracles and and, and who will confront the empire of Rome and, and restore Israel to its glory? So Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. And understand, Jesus, even though he started out in an out-of-the-way place like LaRondra or Robert, his, his ministry was starting to get famous. People were starting to talk. They're starting to say, this guy, I think he's the one. I think he's the Messiah. He's, he's really it. So when he's coming to Jerusalem, there, there now have been, everywhere Jesus went, there were thousands of people showing up to get prayed for, to hear his teachings, to, to get set free. And so Jesus goes into Jerusalem, and the crowds are, are swelling. And a lot of the people are thinking, this is the time. Any moment this thing could catch fire. Realize if, if you were going to be a Messiah, you had to go through Jerusalem. There was no way you were going to be a Messiah without going through Jerusalem. So when Jesus sets his eyes on Jerusalem, the people are thinking, this is the moment. This is the moment. And what do they do on Palm Sunday? They laid down palm branches in front of Jesus. He was on a donkey, and they laid down palm branches. They laid down their coats. And Jesus is coming in, and they said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. What were they saying? You're our king. You're going to be it. You're the one who's going to set things right. They were welcoming him as their Messiah. But that was the high point of the week. (laughs) at least from a human perspective. Because you know what Jesus does as soon as he gets to Jerusalem? He heads for the temple. You know what he does in the temple? He starts turning over tables, whipping money changers. He starts uh, kind of picking a fight with a religious crowd. Jesus meant something by coming to Jerusalem on Passover week. Luke chapter 22, uh, I'm going to read Luke's account of, of Jesus celebrating the Passover. It says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again 
until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. That night, Jesus reconfigured the Passover. He reconfigured it around himself. He's saying that, that just as the blood of the lambs had saved the houses in Egypt, Jesus would be the blood of the lamb. But it's not just for a house now. It would be the blood on the doorpost of the universe that whoever, whoever believes in him, whoever follows after him would find uh, life. More than that, they'd step into a new covenant, a covenant that's not based on, on the Levitical law. It's not based on the observances of Sabbath and circumcision and, and, and all these things in the Old Testament. It's based on what? Jesus. Just Jesus. It's based on a relationship with him. That night, Jesus says, I'm doing a new thing. It starts tonight. We're making a new covenant. That old thing's going to pass away. How does this new covenant come through Jesus? Well, Jesus foreshadows it by, by observing what we call communion. It was the first communion, the first Lord's Supper, the Eucharist that night. How does he foreshadow what's going to happen to make this covenant happen? He foreshadows it with bread being broken and wine. He said, my body's going to be broken. I'm going to be poured out. That's the way this covenant's going to come. You know, I, I read a book last year, uh, which we have in our bookshelf, called uh, Jesus Wants to Save Christians uh, by Rob Bell and Don Goldman. Uh, and they make a point in there, which I think is an amazing point. And, and the more I look at the story, I, 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 it bears witness with me. They say, what if, what if when Jesus, in this Passover meal, he said, do this in remembrance of me? What does that mean? We typically think it just means observe communion, Right. We think that it means every now and then we need to, to do that and remember what Jesus did. And while I believe that's true, I said, what if, what if, what if Jesus was not just saying, observe this ritual and remember me, but what if he was saying, in the same way I'm being broken and poured out, you be broken and poured out for one another. That bears witness with me because I look at the story in John. It, you know, a third of the book of John, if you look at it, is actually... The, the final night when Jesus is sharing communion, he's sharing this Passover meal with his disciples. And you know what Jesus said? He said in uh, John 15, 12, 13, he said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this to lay down his life for his friends. You know what that is? It's being broken and poured out. You know, I, I, I got to tell you, this, this doesn't make sense to us, does it? Especially in America, we, we have this, this idea that we need to demand our rights, right? You know, if, you, if, you, if somebody, uh, you know, offends you, 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 you stand against them. If somebody wrongs you, you, you take them to court. If, if somebody 
uh, is doing something you don't like, particularly as a group of Christians, then you boycott them or you protest them or you hold up signs that say God hates you. Uh, God hates that. And we have this mentality. That's not broken and poured out, is it? See, the world can recognize that stuff. The world, the world around us can see when we're broken or poured out or not. What's it look like to be broken and poured out? It looks like Jesus loving his enemies, even the very people who crucified him on a cross. What's being broken and poured out looks like? It looks like forgiveness when somebody's wronged you. You know, I, I did a, a blog about a year ago. I've got this little blog site. I'm a blogger. And, uh, <laughs> and, and it, the blog I did was called A Prayer for Obama. And, and let me tell you how controversial this blog was. I just said, hey, we need to pray for Obama. And I put a prayer in there. It was, it was about that controversial. I said, God, bless him, give him wisdom, protect him, help the guy out. And you know what? I got a lot of Christians who just thought I was evil for saying pray for Obama. I mean, I had people emailing me like, how, how can you say that? Well, you know, let me clue you in on something. I, I'm not, you know, I don't agree with everything Obama does, okay? I mean, there's things I don't like it a lot. Didn't like things with George Bush either. There's, there's, I, I, I've not found a politician that I'm uh, uh, endeared with in any way. Uh, but you know what? In Jesus' day, we think politics is bad. Try, try living under Rome in the first century. I mean, it wasn't just corruption. It was like 80% of your income goes to Rome. There was no, like, like tea party movement. You do a tea party, you'd end up beat. Crucified, boiled in oil, made an example of by the empire. There's none of that. And Jesus, in that context, that context, it's a lot worse than anything we can imagine here in the land of the free and the home of the brave. In that context, Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Do good to those who spitefully use you. Lay your life down for your friends. He actually even said, he didn't say it, he lived it. Lay your life down. For your enemies. You know what that is? That's being broken and poured out. And that's the way the kingdom of God comes. You know what? The kingdom of God, you can look throughout Christian history. There's been a lot of people who thought the kingdom of God can come if we just pick up a sword and we, you know, round up some Muslims and we, we try to make them convert. Or we round up some Protestants if you were Catholic. Or if you were a Catholic, you, you know, or, or vice versa. Pick whatever person, whatever group you don't agree with, round them up and force them to convert. That's not work for us. <laughs> That's not the way the kingdom of God comes. The kingdom of God does not come with politics. It doesn't come with money. It doesn't come with fame. It doesn't come with, with the sword. It comes the way it came with Jesus. And you can always tell how the kingdom of God's coming because what does it look like? It looks broken and poured out. Often to us, it looks weak, but it's the very power of God. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this. Do this up here. Communion, bread and wine. No. As you remember Jesus with your life, live it like that. That's the evidence 
and we are Christ followers. That's how people are going to see the kingdom of God coming. You know, you can look at the first 300 years of Christianity. They're, they're, that's how it, it expanded from a, a little group of people to millions of people in a matter of 300 years, and there was no, uh, nothing going for them at all. They were broken, and they were poured out, and the kingdom of God was coming like crazy. It's not weakness. It's the very power of God. So tonight, you know, it's kind of funny. We've been, if you're new here tonight, we've been kind of in this series called Life Connected. We've been talking for the last couple of months about how we connect with God in different different aspects, prayer, worship. And and I got to tell you, it's been very hard to talk about connecting with God without talking about connecting with people. It's so hard to actually isolate loving God from loving people because God doesn't isolate it. <laughs> he says, you know, loving me is loving people. The way you love people shows the way you love me. We like to have it just like, ah, I love you, God. But God says, no, the way you love me is demonstrated in the way you love other people. We're going to be turning the corner in the next couple of weeks. We're going to be talking about loving people a lot over the next couple of months, what that looks like. But as we ponder Holy Week, I want us to think about that, what it looks like to be broken and poured out. Well, you don't understand. I've got people slandering me. There's a lot of Christians that, that we think it's okay to slander people because we don't agree with them. We can send emails about them and how much we hate them and how, how evil they are and how they're the Antichrist, how they're going to destroy. You know, how about we take that few minutes that we would spend reading those things and sending those things? How about we just pray for the people? Crazy idea, huh? Revolutionary. It is revolutionary. Because I think if the Christians in America might take just a little bit more time doing that, we might see just amazing inbreakings of the kingdom of God into our world. I'm not saying you got to agree with everything to everybody. I'm just saying our primary call is to do this in remembrance of Jesus. I'm going to invite Zach up tonight uh, to, to lead us in that song one more, one more time, uh, Jesus Messiah. Um, tonight we're going to take communion together. So I can't find a place that... that has those cool little cup things that most churches have. So we're doing like um, party glasses here. <laughs> but uh, if you could in the next song, I, I, I don't know if there's an organized way to do this or anything. Come up here and uh, as we just kind of sing through the song and, and grab you a, a, a cup and, and some bread and go back to your seat. We're all going to do this together. All right. This is my cup right here on the edge of the table, right? Nobody touch it. My communion. Let's take the bread tonight. God, we... We thank you for your body that was broken, Lord. 
Lord, you were, you were broken so that we could be made whole, God, so we could be put back together, God, so that we could be restored uh, to our relationship with you. God, we could, be, we could actually be in relationship with other people the way you intended, Lord. So tonight, God, we, we take this, this bread as a symbol of your body, God, broken for us. tonight we take this cup God Lord representing the new covenant God your blood Lord on the doorpost of the universe God saying that we're free God you are our Passover lamb God you are the one who breaks us out of the tyranny of our Egypt whatever Egypt we may have been living in whatever slavery God we may have been living in God Or this is the cup of your covenant, God. No longer are we identified by anything else, God. There's no other markers in our life, God, but you. And your blood speaks a better word. So tonight, God, we take this cup in remembrance of you, God. And Lord, we take it, Lord, as people who want to live in the reality that it points to. Take it tonight. So, Lord, tonight we we ask you for the grace, Lord, to live in the reality of what this communion points to, God. Lord, in the coming days, God, or we could remember you with our lives, God. And we could be poured out for others, God. Or we could live in brokenness and humility in our relationships with others. That the kingdom of God would come through our lives, God, to our workplaces, to our families, God, to the community around us. God, even to our enemies, Lord. In Jesus' name. Let's just sing this song one more time tonight.